So for the opening, can I try and do my best Bullhagen impression? Yes. Of the from do it. Okay. Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studio. I'm Vicar. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the rest. <laughs> 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 the show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Vicar. And I'm Berg. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. So, we are still missing Bullhagen. Uh, Vicar gave it a valiant attempt, <laughs> and uh, he definitely gets an A A for effort. A, so. a for effort. Yeah, that's for sure. We'll, we'll Berg, you're you're the teacher here now. Uh, what what does he get on his report card for that one? A for effort, but what does he get for uh, performance? The great thing is, is that I am not his uh, his vicarage supervisor, so I don't have to give him any grades. Oh, <laughs> what a cop out answer! Exactly. Hey, that's you know that's the name of the game at this point. So. I just <laughs> had to try and bring bring that energy in up front and see that's what happens. Right. Yeah, truth be told, we're recording this right after the last one, so I still have Mountain Dew in front of me, and I still have a headache. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about, uh, there's this, uh, uh, because his Mountain Dew doesn't have any caffeine in it. His yeah, hard I'm pretty sure. Mountain I couldn't Dew. find anything on it that says caffeine, so. And then we were we started to talk about the legality of it, and uh, then it made me think of this uh, particular kind of alcohol called Buckfast. It's a Buckfast tonic wine. It's a caffeinated alcoholic drink consisting of pure caffeine added to fortified wine, originally made by monks at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England. Yeah, it doesn't sound very safe. And, you know, it was supposed to, like, drive people uh, crazy. So, you know. And speaking of alcohol and crazy, we are celebrating Pentecost today. That's right. So, do you do you understand the reference I'm getting at here, Peter? Yeah, because uh, they're speaking all these separate languages, so they must be drunk, because only drunk people would be able to speak a language they can't speak. Ex- yes. Unless it's under the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's right. So, that's uh, originally how this verse uh, in Acts chapter 2 ends, right? That uh, they were they were drunk, you know, that some mocking said that they are drunk with new wine. And um, so we'll get into that in just a little bit. So, Vicar, how much of Acts chapter 2 do you want to do? I could try and read it really fast. <laughs> how do you yeah, want let's. It's up to you. You can do that or you can give us the Cliff's Notes. Okay. Or if there's a particular part you want to talk about here, like, you know, something that people don't usually hear is Peter's sermon. Okay. So the first part, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that then follows Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Um, so let's go right into that. And I, I also want to include the uh, the end of Acts chapter 2. Because I think yep. that part is important, okay? So Peter's sermon starts here at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male, on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you know, you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then they were cut to the heart and said, What should we do? And then, So the response was, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But this last part, um, I think, is important to add. The, it's about the fellowship of believers. What did they do next? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good. Yeah, I find this to be a fascinating sermon because 
the occasion of this sermon is people are saying that they're drunk, right? Right. That's really that's really the starting point of this whole sermon is, no, guys, we're not drunk. In fact, this is the end of the world, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that's what you guys are seeing. And you know why it's the last of all days? Because Jesus came, you killed him, God raised him up. Um, he couldn't stay in the tomb. When David was talking, he's not talking about himself because David is still dead. He's still in his tomb. He's actually talking about Jesus who was raised from the dead. Um, just like he said that uh, David did not ascend into the heavens, but Jesus did in Psalm 110. And then it ends with this. And really, it's all a bunch of law at the beginning, right? Right. It's the last, it's the last days. The Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. The great and awesome day of the Lord is here because you killed Jesus and Jesus is no longer dead, but he's been raised from the dead and he's ascended to, into heaven and he is the Lord and the Christ. And they're like, uh-oh. What shall we do? Right? We may what have made a mistake. <laughs> Just yeah. tell us what to do. We'll fix it. And then it kind of comes full circle back, right? Because the appearance of the Spirit on all flesh is a sign that the last day is that the last days are here, and then Peter tells them how they are to receive the Spirit through holy baptism, that all of their sins will be washed away, and that they will uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this goes back to um, the end of Joel, right? That what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's not necessarily speaking in tongues or performing miraculous deeds, but in uh, uh, verse 21 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That those who believe shall be saved. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off. And we see that, right? They believe, and then they their lives reflect their faith. And that's the point that Vicar wanted to bring out, right? That right. they, uh, with glad and joyful hearts, they gather around the word and the sacraments. They sell their possessions and uh, give to those who are in need. Uh, they are rejoicing. They eat with glad and cheerful hearts because they've been saved from this crooked generation. Um, so it really is just a wonderful sermon uh, to kind of parse out, even though uh, it would never pass any uh, seminary uh, evaluation. Right. Because they'd be like, oh, well, it's pretty law-heavy. Well, you know. You didn't balance the apostle, out the gospel. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the uh, the apostle can do it, you know, right. The rest of us can too. So, <laughs> I found it interesting in verse thirty nine. This for the promises for you and for your children, because that reminds me too of in Matthew twenty seven twenty five when all the people answered, "His blood be on us and our children." Right. It's kind of restoration of that for all those people. Some of them may have been in the same crowd. That, right, uh, it could very well have been. I mean, this is why our Lord was crucified at Passover, right, when all the Jews were in town. I mean, every male had to go to Jerusalem three times a year for the major festivals. And then 50 days later, they all have to be back for Pentecost, right? So there's a huge crowd in Jerusalem. Uh, upwards to a million people were there celebrating the feast. A super spreader event. Yes, a super spreader event. Thank you, Vicar. <laughs> you really are of your time. 
<laughs> well, I think this last part, too, just shows how far we've fallen a little bit. We do, you know, we do have the word and sacrament, but we're, we're falling short a little bit, I think, as a people of God with our possessions, our belongings, realizing that they're all for uh, helping each other, too. And this con- concordia they talk about, this all things in common, we're just a little bit divided still on this this point. And I think that it's some place we may be able to do better a little bit. Well, and why do you think they can live in this way? Why do you think they can live in Jerusalem, selling their pres- their possessions? Like, what is the uh, the motivating attitude? Forgiven people. Um, okay, forgiven people, but also faith that this these are the last days, right? Make friends right. for yourself by means of unrighteous mammon. Like, if we actually do believe that we are living in the last days, which is very clear from Peter's sermon, right? In these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years, right? And if, this... that's, if that's the case, then why do we hoard all the stuff that's going to burn? As I'm visiting people, and I'm sure you see it too and saw it, there's always this, and we had it with my own grandparents, there's always this big concern, what are we going to do with all this stuff? People just have collected and accumulated so much stuff that when they die, who's going to get it? It's like the uh, Jesus talking to the, the, the rich fool, right? Who wasn't building up treasures in heaven, but for himself. Right. No, I mean, that's the thing. It, it shows that the church today, even though um, we are not required by God's law to you know sell everything and give it to the poor as they did in the Jerusalem congregation— we obviously have uh, a different context in that way, to use that word. I hate using that word. I feel kind of dirty using it, actually. Um, because the Jerusalem congregation was incredibly poor, and had they not done it, people would have starved to death. Right? We're not to that point. But let's also look at the churches of Macedonia in Second Corinthians, right? who gave beyond their means uh, in order to support their brethren in Judea. Um, there's an attitude behind uh, the getting of wealth. And uh, not to say that they're uh, ungodly people, but there is a lot of worldly-mindedness. And the question is, is money and possessions are a means to an end. And what is that end? Well, it should be what Jesus says in the parable of the shrewd servant, right? Make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, you may be accepted into the heavenly habitations. Right? And that's what we see in the Jerusalem congregation. Any more thoughts, Vicar? Well, I actually have prepared one of the what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be about Pentecost. And I actually addressed the text a little bit again in the what it could be to kind of inform <coughs> my answers. So maybe we could bring up some more points at that time. All right. Sounds great. Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. Yeah, Berg, bring in the bring in the energy. Yeah, was that enough? Was that enough energy for you? Yeah, I felt like Bert was in the room. 
Well, that's a, that's a great compliment. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Pentecost, what it is. I don't have a fancy title for it, whether it's what it is for you, you know, what this all could be for you. Just kind of a what it what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. So what it is. What it is. Pentecost is celebrated on the 50th day or the seventh Sunday from Easter Sunday, right? So like Ascension Day, it's always the same day after Easter every year. Pentecost in Greek... Uh, Pentecoste me, is, is the Greek word that means 50. And there's a correlation to a, a festival they were having, the Festival of Weeks. Are you familiar with that, Berg? Yeah, I'm actually looking it up right now. Okay. So that festival was Shavat, and uh, that was celebrated 50 days after the first day of Passover. Uh, it's not the exact same as the Christian Pentecost, but um, so Pentecost commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and other followers of Christ while they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks, as described in in Acts chapter two. And for for Lutherans, Pentecost is a, a festival. Um, would you consider that a feast day too, Berg? I always feast when I have festivals. Yeah, you should. So Shavat or Shavos, uh, the Hebrew word um, for the Feast of Weeks, it's that Jew, a Jewish holiday that occurs on the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Sivan, which would be between May fifth and June fourteenth on the on the Gregorian calendar. In the Bible, Shavat marked the wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Um, Exodus 34:22 and I wanted to mention that because right before Pentecost and and even the ascension you have a lot of this talk about harvest Jesus teaching a lot about the harvest and I think as he sends the holy spirit in Pentecost now he's doing the cultivating right he's already sowing seeds all the times with his with his word and the preached word but we're always looking ahead towards that harvest at the work the Holy Spirit is is doing. So I like that there is a correlation there with a with a wheat harvest. It's almost like it was planned or something. You wonder, yeah. <laughs> so another thing, what it is. Its date is directly linked to that of Passover and is understood to express anticipation and desire for the giving of the Torah. Uh, this is the date of the Shavah still. On Passover, the people of Israel were freed from their enslavement to Pharaoh. On Shavat, they were given the Torah and became a nation committed to serving God. Now, think of, again, Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20, right? Go therefore to all nations and teach, right? Baptize, teach. Um, so we have this same parallel in in what this was about and what what that is about with the sending of the holy spirit the mission now is accomplished in christ but it's now we as the church are to be christ's hands in the world doing continuing his mission on earth to help bring in so he can bring in the harvest also that with that festival being about the giving of the torah it's also 
how Jesus was talking about how, you know, it's not just the law, but now all things that he has taught. He has magnified the law to in- include ever so more also love. All right, the next, the last one for that I have for what it is. In Christ, we are freed from the enslavement of sin. Christ's atonement is ours. Jesus gave a fuller meaning of the law and the gospel to live by Matthew 28, 19 to 20, as well as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This sums it up. Combined with the theme of the harvest, we wait in great anticipation for Christ's final harvest of believing souls. Those who have been given the Holy Spirit through baptism in the sowing of God's word, believed in Christ's name, office, and work through the cross. As we wait, we prepare our hearts by repentance. We hear God's word so the Holy Spirit can work in us and through us. We come to the divine service to be changed by God's word, and we, enduring suffering, with certain hope and patience, that God is shaping us and conforming us to the image of his suffering servant, that our faith may be strengthened, and that we may be, be part of the harvest of first fruits of God's new creation, where Christ is the first fruit. Nice. So, what it ain't. What it ain't. It ain't a holiday where the Holy Spirit again descends on people to speak in tongues or do miracles or wrangle poisonous snakes or anything like that. Right? I love snake handlers. Every once in a while they get bit. It's because they didn't have enough faith. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That one didn't have enough faith. Boy, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's just so terrible. Like, there are people in the United States that actually believe that. And speaking in tongues, uh, we gained a new member that had mentioned, you know, came from a Pentecostal church and said, I like how you guys talk more about Jesus. I get a little weirded out by that speaking in tongues stuff. I don't understand it, and I don't like it. It scares me. Yeah. So. Yeah, thanks be to God. It's still out there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus' sheep hear his voice, and, right. you know, gobbledygook is crazy. It's not Jesus' voice. And the second item I have for what it ain't, it ain't a holiday to worship the Holy Spirit apart from the triune God, for God is all three in one. So I, I think you're just going too far if you take just one of the Trinity and make that the only focus of your worship. Mm-hmm. So this is not a day for that. I, can I add one? Oh, yeah. Add, a, add whatever you have. Okay. Uh, one of the ain'ts that I have is Pentecost ain't the undoing of Babel. I was wondering, though, if there was a connection. Well, they put the, they put the Old Testament lesson for Genesis, right? The confusion of languages. The thing is, is that God does not undo... Uh, the the mixing of languages. What he does is uh, he actually keeps the integrity of those languages, but the gospel is spoken, and they hear it in their own mother tongues, right? right. Um, and so, in a way, it uh, it's not a return to a single language. It's not like your your favorite language, Esperanto. Right, where it's supposed to be this universal language that you know everyone can understand, and there's peace and harmony, and Smurfs, you know, dance around a mushroom or something like that, right? But the whole point is, is that um, 
these languages and these cultures are really maintained and the gospel shines through them and changes them, right? So, like, it's okay to be a German. It's okay to be from Asia or, uh, you know, Pamphylia, Pamphylia or uh, Rome or whatever, right? That uh, they hear the wonderful works of God in their own tongues. Um, so that's why forcing someone to learn you know, Latin or even English to know theology is very, very misguided and uh, actually undermines what Pentecost was about. So. And also brings to importance uh, Luther's work at trans translating the Bible so people could hear it and read it in their own language into German. Or, right, or Bullhagen's, uh he sits on that board for, what is it, Lutheran Heritage Foundation? Yep, that's the one. Right, right. Don't they do a lot of they do a lot of translating as well? It's most of what they do. Yeah. So, so that's the thing is, uh, we want people to understand these you know these wonderful works of God, the Magnolia Christi in their own language. Right? We're not the Borg. We don't get assimilated. That's why I hate melting pots too. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that was too fast well, for me, Berg. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that the lie? Right. Well, America's one big melting pot, assimilate, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's, it's not true, right? I mean, um, and it's not good. It's not good to destroy culture. It just isn't. Um, so, now, some culture should be destroyed, like the Aztecs. W- what know. do you have against the Aztecs? Well, not only were they demon worshippers, but they also cut people's hearts out and then threw their bodies down these pyramids. Sounds like a fun weekend to me. I'm sure it does. It's like Weekend at Bernie's, only with more hearts. <laughs> I mean, that's an awesome title. If it wasn't Pentecost, I'd, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's still going on today, isn't it? Death yeah, by I mean, uh, and our own heart culture, extraction. You know, our own culture is so wicked. I mean, I'm... Thanks be to God for the Supreme Court and their idea, you know, to overturn Roe versus Wade, right? But mm-hmm. that's the thing is that uh, we sacrifice our own children on the altar of convenience. Doesn't have to be uh, Molech. Doesn't have to be some pagan deity. Um, we just worship ourselves. So now it's the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. Exactly. So even our own culture needs to be transfigured once again mm-hmm. by the by the word of the gospel. So so w- what it could be. What it could be. As it's stated in Acts 2, 3 to, f- 3 to 4. Chapter 2, 3 and 4. Pentecost could be this. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what I said about that is we realize as believers that during baptism, the Holy Spirit came to rest on each of us. Therefore, we, can, we should use our tongues to praise and glorify God. And then in uh, Acts 2.11, at the end of that, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So instead of speaking in tongues now, we should speak with the the gifts that God gives us and use our tongues to, to his glory and not for grumbling, not for slander, um, not for lying, all these things. The second one, 
as said in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, at the end where he quotes the prophet Joel, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord should be saved. So Pentecost should be that reminder for us uh, that we are to call upon the Lord and, and bring the gospel to others so they can do that as well. And then where he quoted David, um, and especially verse 28 where it says, You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. I think Pentecost should be a reminder for us what he has done, making known the paths of life, that he has sent us the Holy Spirit. And through his word, we can now understand that. And this is where we are made glad, right? And it's with the real presence of Christ where he promises to be found. And then um, the third point I have is, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, a call for repentance and to save yourself from this crooked generation. I still think that still applies to today. We still should use Pentecost as a call, to, a day to remember, a, a call for repentance and to save ourselves from this crooked generation. Do you uh, know what the not, Greek word is for that? What's crooked? that? What's that? Scoliosis. Scoliosis. That's funny. It, uh, that's where we get the word, right? So this, this generation that has scoli- like moral and spiritual scoliosis. Kind of too reminds me of that rebuke from uh, Stephen. You stiff-necked people. Mm-hmm. So in verse 38, where Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in uh, verse 40, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then the last thing I have is, uh, it could be, Pentecost could be looked at as a, a call not just to repentance, but a call to faith, living as a community of believers in Christ and word and sacrament where the Holy Spirit works through means for the implanting, cultivating, and sowing of faith and bearing fruit in Christ. Especially here, as he had said in uh, verses 42 through 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and uh, awe came upon every soul, and many Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then they were selling their possessions and proceeds for the needs of all. So that fellowship in the community of believers, you know, sacrificially giving uh, to support the, the, the ministry of the word and the needs of God's people. I think that that would be living as a community of believers in Christ. Because, I mean, it's not like we have... Uh inflation or food shortages at this moment, right? But it certainly probably, right, affects <laughs> some more than others. Uh, I was joking. It, I know that. But. We definitely have those things, right? But that's so. such a good point. You know, now is a good time to think about that. It may be, um, you know, Peter, the working man now, might be doing better than the single mom who was barely scrapping by to feed the kids, and now all of a sudden we have inflation on all the food, and diapers and formula shortages and all this. My mom was saying that uh, for Easter, she couldn't even hardly buy any eggs because there were no eggs in the store, you know, because of all of these chickens dying. So, so that's the thing is, yeah, it's, uh, there's plenty of, 
there's plenty of need out there, that's for sure. And we serve because God serves us, right? Right. So. Well, thanks, Vicar. That was great. Yeah. Good work. Good work. Well, All right. We got to do so, another maybe 10 or 15 minutes. So do you have something you want to talk about, Berg, or should we do a question? We've got a few questions. Yeah. Um, I can. Let's do the questions, and then I can end with uh, a pastor piece theater. Okay. So let's see. Uh, there's one from Hannah, and it says, my, fur- my four-year-old daughter asked when angels would be coming to our house. I think we read the Christmas story enough times for angel visitation to sink in. I told her they are in our home all the time. We just can't see them. Is that correct enough? Yeah. I mean, the uh, angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, right? So, um, you know, he will command his angels concerning you. We We can't go so far as to say that each... In you know that each person has their indiv- as an individual guardian angel, but nevertheless the uh, the angels are ministers of flame who uh, guard and serve those who are to inherit salvation. So, so what happens if I get into a car and drive away? I'm sure they follow. Do they like run really fast, or do they sit on top of the car? Well, since they are not constrained by matter. Um, you know, there's no wind resistance, so they can travel faster than us. Oh, you know, fair enough, fair enough. <clears throat> Do you think they so, can I mean, travel that's... faster than the speed of light? Um, theoretically, yes, because light is both a wave and a particle, right? And so, um, and angels are uh, immaterial. And so, theoretically, they could bypass the speed of light. Interesting. Yeah. Anything to add, Vicar? Well, I... I just love how we have this exam- these examples in Scripture of um, God's hand in salvation history. Even when man failed miserably, there he even sent angels, or the angel of the Lord, or the pre-incarnate Christ, um, to make sure that his plan would unfold. Uh, even in you know, military situations, uh, even um, when Christ was tempted, right? There was always... That God always was in control, and and there's no reason why we wouldn't think today that He still has angels working for Him to make sure, you know, we're we don't lose control of our faith here too. But okay. we also have new game favorite yeah. angel story. Go. Uh, when Jesus was tempted and and uh, and Satan tried to tell him that. Uh, the angels wouldn't let his foot hit the ground or whatever, but they left out the part about treading on serpents, which follows that scriptural quote. Nice. Peter? I, I don't know. That's, let me think a little more. You, you clearly have one. All right. So, uh, prophet Elisha and his servant Gehazi and the Syrians are coming with their army to capture him because he's been telling the King of Israel, uh, the battle plans of the King of Syria. And Gehazi is freaking out, and he's like, uh, how are we going to get out of this one? And Elijah turns to him and just says, uh, the ones who are with us are more than the ones that are with them. And then he prays, oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And you can just see in the mountains and the hills just all of these fiery chariots and uh, and and you know, basically the hosts, right? The hosts. Legions. Of legions of angels. So, yeah. Honestly, I think my favorite 
it's not really a story necessarily, but the the image of uh, the angels guarding guarding the Garden of Eden is a really good image to me. Yeah, with with the flaming sword. Yeah. Yeah, keeping you out of paradise so you don't eat and live forever in your sin, <laughs> which would be terrible. <laughs> so we had another question. This is actually, I regret to inform, this is from December, the day the day after Christmas this was sent to us. Uh, I just haven't Oops, checked. Sorry. I haven't been checking Facebook as often as I should have, uh, and Hannah sent this to me. She was kind enough to check our Facebook <laughs> Um. Yeah. Usually, I lean on Hannah and uh, Bullhagen for that, but this one must have slipped through the cracks. Uh, so this was from Greg. Uh, why is the church referred to as her? This is he says reference is from the Godestines podcast. Vicar, you want to take this one? Well, it's the bride of Christ, and in the Old Testament, it was the you know the. It was still God saw his covenant with people as a marriage vow that they were his bride as well. And um, anytime they were sinning, it was adultery in his eyes. And yeah, there's a lot of verbs that have the feminine tense when it's referring to Israel too, not just the church, but God's people. It's his bride, still is. Yeah, it's interesting because there's this place in uh, Ezekiel where the Lord, through the prophet, is talking about um, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and he calls them sisters. And I, I can't remember what their names are, but it is, it's so terrible. <laughs> because they, uh, they commit adultery against the Lord, which means that they run after other gods. And uh, some of the descriptions there are actually pretty racy, really. So, um, so yeah. Is it, it Hosea, uh, too, that was... Because Israel is adulterous, Hosea was made to marry a harlot. Yeah, and what was her name? Do you remember? I can't remember, but... Gomer. (laughs) Such a pretty name. (laughs) Uh, And then the children's name are worse. Jezreel, right? Because at Jezreel, God is going to execute judgment on the northern kingdom. One One of the kids' names is Not Loved. Another one of their names is Not My People. No, No Baby Daddy. So, you know, so yeah, this image of uh, the church as a bride especially shows up in a lot of the wedding texts, um, Ephesians chapter 5, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Husbands, love your wives uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, Wives, love your husband, you know, respect your husbands, um, right, and submit to them as the church does to Christ, right? So that is the reason why we often refer to the church as her or as she, right? Because, um, Holy mother of the church. Well, you know, and she produces children, children of God birthed through the font. Of course, there's a place where that analogy breaks down, of course, but you know, well, and as the womb or as the tomb, uh, was the womb of new creation being born. First fruits were Jesus. So is the church, the, the womb by which, you know, the rest of God's new creation is born through the font and holy baptism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why we refer to the church as female. So, 
So pronouns matter in the Bible. Pronouns matter in the Bible. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of these new translations, like uh, New International Version, they start changing the pronouns, you know? So that's why you got to be careful. Got to be careful about what translation of the Bible you you uh, you buy because pronouns matter. We know this now more than we've ever known it before. <laughs> All right, so next question. Do we have a next question? Um, the other one we had here is, I mean, kind of a question. I guess it's a talking point. Um, this was from uh, Joel, and it says, if uh, your discussion of aliens was entertaining, if I may, I have a few thoughts. The first thing is the definition of the word alien often is understood as beings not from this visible world, which easily is the same word as angels in the Bible. I guess we could talk about that first. You guys have any insights there? Well, don't we have a difference in messenger versus sojourner? I mean, it's not the same thing. Yeah, the way that we usually use angel is, I think what he's saying is uh, when we refer to angels in their essence uh, and how we commonly use the word angel, we're talking about spirits, right? Which would be extra, and I prefer the word supra-terrestrial. I like it. You know? <laughs> beyond beyond the, the earth, right? Right. Above the earth. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's... Yeah, he's right. I mean, we you, we make up these names, right? Um, alien just simply means foreigner. You could say that aliens are foreign to this world in that they are not made of the same stuff as this world, kind of like we are, you know? Our foundations are in the dust. Um, so, you know, you could, yeah, so. There is a lot of biblical reference of, I mean, kind of correlating stars and angels. I mean, or that's been a name four angels at times. Right. How the stars of the morning sang for joy, like in Joel and Job, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, anyway, Joel's second point is uh, some Hebrew knowledge can make lots of fun when combined with re the readings of those who have been abducted by aliens, quote unquote. In every case where the alien has revealed its name, it is exactly the same name as a false god in the Old Testament. Blessings on your work. Yeah, I'd like to see that because, um, yeah, I uh, I wasn't aware of that. So that's kind. Of, yeah, it it makes sense that evil angels would, you know, just take up the garb of, uh, you know, of uh, the modern superstition of aliens and everything like that, right? Whatever like angle, that, yeah. You know, like uh, well, it's kind of like that cult, that Heaven's Gate cult. Right. Right. Yeah. Didn't they? I mean, that was what in the late '90s, early 2000s, right? Where they mm -hmm. uh, they were following this comet, and they thought that if Haley's comet or something. Yeah, yeah, and they thought if they could commit suicide, um, these aliens or beings or whatever they were would take them with them. Kind of see the same thing in this new age nonsense too. So, yeah, demons are still at work. We just know them by different names. Have you guys had any you know. uh, demonic experiences before? Uh, I never have, um, besides the regular, you know, run-of-the-mill rejection of the gospel. 
But uh, mm-hmm. if you're talking about like pigree and vomit and knowing stuff that only I know um, or speaking in languages that they couldn't possibly know, then no, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for me, I guess. <laughs> God obviously doesn't want me, you know, monkeying with that kind of stuff. Well, you got so. a lot of kids to deal with now, too. <laughs> how many How many kids do you have to make sure? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like 90-some, so. So, yeah. Um, yeah, God Sometimes you uh, wonder. Yeah, go for it, Victor. Some, Sometimes you wonder when you see a kid in their, uh, you know, fits of rage tantrums and all that but uh then again the baptized believer um are already already have the whole the holy spirit dwelling in them there's not room for to be possessed by someone else so yeah i think our own evil flesh does a lot of that for us but uh there are some people who have that i know of that have uh had demonic uh experiences i have known of pastors who have um brought people out of like the church of satan where there actually was possession and that sort of stuff. So any sort of talk of angels or any sort of supernatural or spiritual beings would actually, it kind of like triggered almost PTSD in them. Wow. So yeah, it's, uh, it's out there. I mean, and you know, I've talked about this before, but you know, there are more and more things out there now where people are getting involved in witchcraft and, you know, uh, there's one podcast called old gods of Appalachia and I I listened because I, I thought it was kind of a neat show and stuff, but I went on their Facebook page and um, there are so many witches. Like, for real, witches with spells and uh, herbs and potions and, like, for real. And you're talking about groups of hundreds of thousands of people. So that's, that's the thing. Is I think, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be in our ministries, we're going to be dealing more, more and more with neo-paganism, Wicca, witchcraft, all that kind of stuff. So where people are actively inviting, uh, these malign spirits into their minds, into their homes. Um, and it can get kind of ugly. I mean, you read what, uh, what possession was like in the new Testament. And, uh, you know, these guys cutting themselves with stones, living out in cemeteries, um, you know, being so strong that no chain could hold them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it probably happens a lot more than we like to think it happens. And then we kind of scooby-doo it away and it's like, oh, well, it's just mental illness or it's just this or it's just that. Well, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, I heard there's a lot of uh, demons at the seminary, actually. Ah, yeah. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of, there are a lot of demons there. There's a lot of demons there. Yeah, you can get your demon. So, so, you know, whoever thought about a seminary, you know, advocating for possession, terrible. (laughs) What are they doing? I said that. I said that working public safety one time, people, guests were arriving late at night for uh, various uh, continuing ed things, and somebody came in. I assumed they'd be on my list for those staying for the D-Min program, right? So I said that to somebody that came in. I said, are you here for the D-Min program? And he's like, isn't this a seminary? A Christian seminary? 
I don't want anything to do with demons. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Berg, if you want to save what you've got there, I think we've got enough for an episode. Uh, it's up to you, though. All right. Sounds great. All right, so uh, yeah, so, I think we filled enough content. That's two episodes in a row without Bullhagen. We managed to we managed to come up with an episode. Just living the dream. Do you, you think he's gonna listen? Probably not. I mean, I don't know if he'll be able to hear us over the sound of him not wearing a shirt. That's you know that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> or being pestered to put on a shirt, maybe. That's yeah. I can I can see it going both ways. So, <laughs> well, thank you for listening to the show. Um, Vicar, if they have any questions, comments, concerns, where can they reach us? They could email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. Um, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, Or on Twitter at clericalerrorsp, P for podcast. And if they'd like to donate, they can find us on Patreon. Uh, there's a link on our website. All right. Thank you, Vicar. And thank you guys for listening. I'm Brig. I'm Vicar. And may your pastors have a demon. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.